I'm always ready. That's I. I'm gonna cut that out. <laughs> you better not cut that out, <laughs> folks. Welcome to an episode of the Yard Tenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan. He is Mac. Howdy. Yes, folks. We are doing an episode on the Batman. The not, Batman. Not to be confused with a Batman. Gosh, I hate a Batman. No, no, no. This is the yeah. Batman right here, right what now. What do you think about the Dark Knight rebranding? The Dark Knight rebranding, I think, was was best for the Batman brand when it comes to in terms of like because it allowed us as an audience to take superhero movies more seriously when it comes to approaching narrative yes. and tone. Yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yes, I I think that it was it was the very first uh it definitely revolutionized uh Batman but 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 also like how we see superhero movies and how yeah. like legitimate and and in how we consume them right, as films, right? right. Like that they, Like that was the very first time that uh, that superhero movies were not campy. They were like to be taken seriously. To be taken seriously is the yeah. big thing, you know. Do you like, think Marvel could have happened without the Dark Knight? Marvel could have happened to the Dark Knight. Do you think that Marvel could have happened without the Dark Knight, or do you think oh. that they would have been able to make the same splash? Well, I think it's it's so different. I think probably Marvel would have taken a longer time to really get its stride strides going. But I think what really aided Marvel was the fact that like it had Iron Man yeah. first, and Iron Man was good, and then it, the next movie after that, I can't even. Oh, it was the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, yes, which was okay, which but was, like, which was like a bunch of okay movies, but then they Thor, all they after. all led to the Avengers, right? right? Which felt like a sort of cataclysmic event. Well, yeah, and you know, uh, in DC, they all lead to the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay, sorry. Uh, as a quick aside, have you seen the Justice League? Yeah, it's awful. Uh, w- which one, the Zack Snyder cut or the I original actually cut? want so bad to see the Zack Snyder cut. I've never seen the Zack Snyder cut. I've, I've been told it's okay. I've only seen the Zack Snyder cut. I, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Okay, well, it gets worse. It, okay, cool, it gets cool, way. Cool. I, I promise it gets worse. And that's my personal opinion. Okay, but all that to say, we have something much different to review today. Yes, and that is the Batman. The Batman. What makes you say it's much different? By the way, this is directed by Matt Reeves. It came out in uh, 2022. That's just some context. Well, starring yeah. uh, Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz. As as we record dating this episode, it is in theaters right now. We had to see this thing in theaters. Fair yes, say. but this is not the first thing that we had to see in theaters. This is the third, team, third thing already this season that you have oh. instilled within us to go and watch in I theaters. Forgot first about it was Lamb. Lamb. I forgot about Lamb. First it was Lamb, yeah. and then it was Uncharted. Uncharted. And then now it is. Well, I'm trying to stay up with the kids. I'm trying to stay current, Danny. Yeah, because all the kids all the... go to movie theaters. You're right. Not the... okay. You're right. <laughs> kids aren't seeing Uncharted. Kids are not seeing Lamb. But I will retort: kids are seeing the Batman. That's true. Is I this... know a lot of kids that have seen the Batman. Is this the talk of the town? It is the talk of the town. This is this is in the center of the zeitgeist right now. I would say it, it goes: uh, Will Smith, Chris Rock. Number one, number two, you the Batman. To I had to. I'm so excited about it. And then number two is the Batman. Number two is Batman. It is tragic. It is so sad. In At current, the same time, in current so zeitgeist and current like yes. discussions in the classrooms that you teach. You're correct. I'm I'm hearing buzzes of the Batman. Okay. All uh, over the place. And before we really get our thoughts into it, uh, we need to pull out the penalty board we because we need to catch up on some penalties that that have incurred. So uh, before I update it formally, uh, I currently have four and Mac currently has two, but we're about to update it right now. In our Cowboy Loads Bebop uh, 2021 television live action series, uh, I accidentally called the character Mao Mai, so that is a penalty point for me. Then Mac uh, confused... 
uh, Rush Hour with Rush Hour 3, or rather the other way around, uh, in our Cowboy Bebop the movie episode. And so that incurs a penalty point. So now I'm still up by five, and Mac is up by three as Mac displays and he slams down the board onto the uh, coffee table in front of us. Uh, Yes, I have five, he has three. So... Mac, you're the one that suggested this film. You said prior to our recording that you have seen it two times, and I think that's always something worth discussing whenever we consume art of any like kind. Twice? Like, well, yeah, yeah, and like, what what are first impressions? And then, what was interesting to you the second time? I will say oh. to to lead off with that. Yeah, I I had only seen it once. I saw it around you know a, a week prior to our current recording at this present moment of you and I longingly looking into one another's eyes. Uh, I saw it about last week. So uh, some things have sort of, you know, mellowed here and some things have Mm. sort of ruminated, marinated within my mind, within my heart, within my stomach. And so since you saw it two times, though, I'm interested on your POV when it comes to the consumption of both ventures. Sure. Uh, I got to say, the first time I went and saw it with Du Bois, I went uh, and saw it with a friend and my brother. And so it was definitely an experience that was um, a little, like... Uh, not as serious, you know. I, I like I wasn't like watching it as a piece of art. I was I was definitely watching it as like a kind of you know go- go- goofy little like outing. Sure. And um, it it was good. Uh, it was it was definitely good the first time. Um, I would say that the very first time, I I was actually dragged there because I was told it was amazing. Um, and it didn't get amazing for me until uh. Paul Dano entered. Whenever Paul Dano okay. entered, I immediately was like, "Which is what ten minutes the into Riddler. the film? What, what, do, what do you? No, mean? no, what that's mean? like that's like an hour and a half, maybe two hours into the so film." So, are you referring to the Riddler when he has his mask off? Oh, yes. When, whenever, okay. whenever that's the, an important distinction. Sorry, yes, you're correct. Whenever the character of the Riddler is revealed, who is the antagonist of this film? You're correct. The the villain of this film. Um, it uh, that that was whenever it turned to really really good. And then, and I kind of understood the hype, and it, and it made a lot of sense to me there. Um, the second time around, I was able to. Uh, there were some things that I was able to appreciate a little bit more. I was sure. able to appreciate, for instance, um, the first time I was very pleasantly surprised that I never thought about the fact that it was Robert Pattinson. Um, I was really expecting, like, ah, Robert Pattinson's Batman. That's really not what this is at all. Yeah, not even a shred. Um, because Robert Pattinson is Bruce Wayne unmasked and not Batman for like uh, maybe like 10 or 20, maybe 20 percent of this film. And mo- a hefty majority of the film is him in costume. Yeah. And this is a consistent theme, I think, with Batman as a character and in films in general of how it seems like the caped crusader wants to be the Batman more than he wants to be Bruce Wayne. And right. so that is in terms sure. of just strictly screen time, that is uh lengthily apparent, you know, and, yeah. and also in the narrative storytelling. And, well, and but the also as well. like, I, I think that every Batman that we've seen so far has been insert actors, Batman, uh, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman. Sure. Uh, Christian, Christian Bale's. Batman. Yeah. Michael I, Keaton. I think this is the very first Batman that it, it is not Robert Pattinson's Batman. Um, in my mind, this is Matt Reeves, Batman. Um, from a, from the, a directorial point of view. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that he had more control over how I perceived Batman than Robert Pattinson did, is what I'm trying to say. Interesting. Um, whereas I don't think that's necessarily been the case before. Um, the uh, Now, th- that, th- that was the first time, right? The second time I was able to appreciate some things that Robert Pattinson did a little more, okay. but it was definitely still... Matt Reeves' Batman to me, um, yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing. I actually no. kind of there, there there were some things that I really liked about that. I think one of the strong suits for this movie, and once again, not a diss to Robert Pattinson, uh, in a sort of uh, weird way, but 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 one of the strengths of this movie was the directorial mantle that Matt Reeves took on. Yeah. I think, and yes, and approaching approaching Gotham, which is the setting, the city that Batman takes place in, uh. You know, approaching that city, approaching that story, approaching approaching the visuals, as well as having the sort of seventies, eighties noir sort of approach. True. This this detective sort of thing that really goes well with Batman as a character and how he you know solves crimes. Right? He is commonly regarded as you know his nickname is the world's greatest detective. Right? And I'm pretty sure the very first Batman comics was called, if I'm not mistaken, I would need to look this up. I'm giving myself you know the the avenue for which I can be wrong. Okay? Uh, I believe they're called the Detective Comics. Right? Or at the very least, Detective is in the name. Right? So being a detective is a gigantic part of Batman. But when you think of the Batman films, just you know, in the past, in general, we don't think of Batman as a detective, right? Right. It's such a loose part to that character. You know, when you play a Batman game, that's going to be a little bit different. You know, there's a lot of investigation when it comes to Batman video games. Sure, because it's a video game. But when it have comes you played the video to, games? Uh, a co- uh, the Lego Batman games. <laughs> God damn it, Danny! <laughs> Is that what you were imagining just now in your mind as you're talking about it? I was thinking of the Arkham, Arkham of course. games. Of yeah, course. yeah. We're, I mean, but like investigation is still like a major part of those games. You're right. You're right. It's true. But it's hard to make investigation and detective work interesting to watch that isn't just procedural television. But even then, procedural television like doesn't stay too long within, right. you know, they, they don't try that hard to make investigation interesting. Right. Yeah, I mean, m- most most Batman movies, the challenge is how do we make this really complicated, you know, uh, NCIS episode right. th- something that's worth two hours. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Sure, like, sure. it really is just like a riddle, and, you, and they give you some clues, and you have to figure it out. You're absolutely I, right I mean, about but, the But what I felt yeah. about this movie was that, like, there was a certain joy of, like, when Batman figured things out, right? There was a there was a constant, and I think the Riddler was a great usage, uh, in terms of trickling of information for the the protagonist and for the audience, right? That there was always something to solve, which I don't know. At least for me, as an audience member, was really really enjoyable. There was always something around the corner to figure out. Because there was this grand mystery that was continually being unraveled. Like, yeah. why are all these things related, yeah. et cetera, et cetera? Like, what is going on here? There was something enjoyable about that as opposed to purely just trying to find and stop the bad guy, right? right. That in order to find and stop the bad guy, it involved unmasking this gigantic conspiracy, right? Right, Which was, at least in terms of the progression of the film— a treat, right? And so even though the movie is bordering three hours of a runtime, yeah. it didn't feel that long. Not the first time. 
<laughs> the first time it did not feel like that. <laughs> it did not feel like that the first time. The second time, they can cut some shit for sure. They can cut some stuff. Okay, so let's let's get into that. Yeah. Thing. So well, they're uh, the the second time I definitely they, I I hit a wall. I hit okay. a wall around, and it was actually before Paul Dano even came in. I think it was, or sorry, it that's, was revealed. Listen, revealed. that's like the start of the third act of right, the film. Right, right, right. Which is good that that's whenever, like, they really take a step up and they change some things. Yeah. Because it's, it's just such a, refre- it feels like you're watching a new episode of this series or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, which I think is kind of smart. I, 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 I have no idea. We, we can reckless speculation this. I, I feel like there must be some sort of change happening in film that has to do with uh, how we watch um, content most consistently, like like binging a show, um, like or or like um, maybe a movie is starting to feel like like a three episode miniseries, if that makes any sense. Like it, it's supposed to feel like it's refreshing you every single act. Because I gotta say, this was way longer than a movie like Power of the Dog, which like ten or twenty years ago. I know. Re- what is that movie? Hold on, it's, I'm on uh, this. It's on Netflix. It's it was a bunch of uh, like Oscar nominations. It has Benedict Cumberbatch and um, and it it was okay. And like ten or twenty years ago, it would have been like a masterpiece, right? But nowadays, it was just so long and so quiet and so drawn out, and it was just difficult to watch at times. It was so it was very boring for me. But this movie, for some reason, even though it's three hours long, just kept refreshing you because there were so many new uh, uh, moments, but mainly Four. new bad guys not literal like villains but new antagonists like for i each. see you know what i mean yeah, yeah. And so, L- or rather like not so much antagonists in the traditional sense but characters who are in opposition ex- to the right, protagonist right so like for instance the uh, uh semantics so but it, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it's a good distinction to draw so like um so you have Falcone. Fel- right. You have Falcone. You have Oz you have, slash the Penguin. Absolutely. And then you also, I mean, and, uh, you know, he's also fighting the police and everything. And, 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 and like, he's kind right. of, like, like in, in contention with Catwoman from time to time and everything. Exactly. But, but the fact that it's, uh, that they almost segment each uh, bad guy that he runs into, into their own little mini story that, like, propels him towards the Riddler is really it's consistently refreshing and easy yeah. to follow it well and it feels kind of like a novel doesn't it that, yes, it's like that chapters. It's, it feels like all of these different stories that just all of a sudden they funnel into one and, it, and it's articulately i don't think i use that word right whatever um okay. but but it's it's really really well done it is. right it, yeah. in that sense in that particular sense i'm not trying to one-to-one comparison oh, yeah it, but like it does remind me a little bit of the wire Right. Where Uh, it feels kind of like a novel and it feels like these storylines, which seem kind of unrelated, but they're really always related the entire time. And so then, you know, when when you're approaching, I guess, like towards like the second act of the film, right at the end of the second act and then and. All these stories are coming together as one. And, And I think what also propels this film to even greater heights is how it relates to Bruce Wayne as a person, right? Where the cause of this entire grand conspiracy was Bruce Wayne's parents, right? Right. For those of you who don't know, which I would be shocked, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yes. I, th- I don't think we said that. Sorry if that's a shocked. spoiler for anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, and this movie also assumes that you know a lot. Yeah, um, and it's funny because I, I the second time I went to see it with Emma. this movie at least assumes that like you know who Batman 
is, right? right? And so, like, it doesn't try to, like, teach you everything about Batman. My ear is really itchy. Do you see this right now? I, I just cannot I see the itching. I do not see the itch. But the, oh. uh, uh, but the second time that I went and saw it, I saw it with Emma, right? And she, Who's Emma? Emma is my girlfriend. Thank you. And also an artist and a very clever one. And so she, uh, we were watching it, and as we left the theater, I was like, I, I realized how many things you're supposed to know about Batman. I'm really sorry that I didn't prep you for that. Because like what? Also, this was her very first Batman movie that she's ever seen. Oh. Crazy. Exactly. But what's interesting is that all the things that you need to know about Batman, she did already know. And it was just because, like, she'd, she'd been around. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I know the name Bruce Wayne. I know that's Batman. I know that his parents died. I don't know how, but I know his parents died. And, like, that that's an important thing in his life. And it's like kind of That's really like, all how, you need to know. That and... Um, uh, Alfred uh, exists? Alfred. Yeah. and Because yeah. they don't really tell you who Alfred is. They're just like, Alfred. And she's like, I know he's the butler. And I'm like, that's really all you need that's, to know. That's, that's it. it. Um, which was interesting. But what you're talking about was... Especially since he didn't do it. The... St- <laughs> but what you're talking about with Bruce Wayne and, and the way they use Bruce Wayne in, in terms of storytelling, I had a huge light bulb moment in the middle of watching it the second time that okay. made me really happy that uh, I'm, I'm stealing something that Matt Reeves did. And it's this. Because we are following Bruce Wayne, our protagonist, our main character, because we are following that person, we don't need much textually to tell us who that person is or how that person is growing because we are visually seeing how that person is growing. They don't really talk about Bruce Wayne or Bruce Wayne's perspective. They just show us Bruce Wayne's perspective because we're already on that journey. Everyone else gets the text. So, and, and I never really thought about that, but I was like, yeah, because yeah, I was thinking about it, you know, the, the whole like Robert Pattinson screen time thing, like how much is Robert Pattinson actually being Robert Pattinson or like, you know, like acting or like how much does he do? And I'm sitting there he's watching. He's not acting him. at all. He, oh, I know, really. <laughs> he's, he's so just good. He's brooding in the corner. <laughs> no, um, he's. Uh, but I, I'm sitting there watching him, and I'm like, he has practically no monologues, and people talk about him very little. But every other character talks his fucking ear off, and I'm like, I wonder why that is. I wonder, I wonder how that. That, like like how that came to be, and I'm like, oh well, that makes total sense. I know everything that I need to know about Batman because I'm watching it right now. Yeah, you need to drill it. Um, but and you get a lot of it from the opening monologue and the closing monologue, right? Like the the voiceovers, it, exactly, you right? Know? So like every other, you know, uh, and, and this isn't just a superhero movie thing, but I'm just going to use superhero movies as, as an example. You know, if, if we look at really any other superhero movie. Um, uh, Iron Man, you know, any of the other Batman, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Captain America, whatever, they all are very talkative protagonists, yeah. and they do have quite a lot of lines, and we learn a lot about them based off of them telling us about themselves, rather than just, like, being themselves. And so the fact that this kind of jumped into it, but allowed you to to pick up information on Batman along the way was really clever, I thought. And so, like, we're hearing things about the Riddler. We're hearing things about, the like, the villains or, like, we're hearing things about the case or the, the, the problem they're trying to solve while we're seeing, you know, him having to, like, emotionally deal with, um, like, uh, or emotionally unload all of the crap that he has to do as the Batman, which, may I say, was the very first thing that I noticed about the Batman, this one. And made me most excited for the movie. I was immediately bought in and like, okay, I think I'm here for this. The second that he comes home from beating the crap out of people, he takes his little like contact camera thing out and he puts it on the little device and he has to watch through everything that he's doing and he has to journal. 
so yeah. that he can like unload. So he learns, yeah. And then over the course of the movie, like they never really say anything about it, but I, I definitely noticed the second time he gradually, like slowly but surely, uh, has Alfred do more and more of the reflective work and like more of that, like l- like yeah. like. And part stuff. part of it too is like he's busy doing other he's things busy, as right. well. But also like it is, I can't even imagine like the fucking emotional toll. Yeah, it must take on you to yeah. be the Batman, and like it's just. It is a very dramatic and like human look at a superhero movie, which uh, is very rare. Well, because that's an exact thing where you are having your protagonist confront like the actions that they just you know incurred. Yeah. Right. Like that. That is like just direct confrontation. Well, yeah. And so then it propels the character to then yeah. confront themselves. And it also makes a lot, I mean, it makes so much sense. I mean, Batman always prides himself on, uh, he doesn't kill people. He's one of the only heroes that does not kill people. He refuses and he's like, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll like make him unconscious, I'll yeah. beat him up, whatever, but I'm not going to try to kill anyone. I might, but I'm not going to try to kill anyone, right? And if he does, if he, does, if he does, does kill somebody, like, that means he has literally no other choice or he does it by accident. Exactly, exactly. And so to see him so it's like if that's if that's that guy's pov then he must not necessarily like hurting people either you know what i mean so it's interesting to see him beat bad guys up and it does impact him yes because it should and then it begs the question like it seems like there's some sort of emotional toll that you know it takes from him when he's Batman. However, he much prefers to be Batman than Bruce right. Wayne. Right, right, right. You know, and, they, and, they mentioned multiple times in the film how they never see Bruce Wayne, and Bruce yeah. Wayne doesn't do X, Y, and Z. He doesn't donate any sort of money. He is so inactive and just lives essentially in this castle right. and just does nothing. And he has that moment with Alfred, right, where Alfred's talking about, like, um, you know, like all, all things he's doing for the city and like what his father did and, and all the programs and everything. And and at one point he says, Bruce Wayne says, uh, you know, if I'm not able to um, if I'm not able to help anybody, then like, what am I here for? Like, that that's my only purpose is to yeah. like try and make, make the world a better place. And the most direct way I can do that is by being the Batman. Right. Um, and that that I think right there is uh, what, what makes it so interesting because how other versions of Batman have gone is that he's like I think being the Batman is the most important thing I could be and and then he tries to be the Batman and on and on and on and everything but in this one it is like Bruce Wayne is actively depressed whenever he is Bruce Wayne he it's not just that he prefers being the Batman it is that he fucking despises being Bruce Wayne because he's like yeah I'm doing nothing right now I like I'm I'm wasting space. Like, I'm I wasting am, my time on yeah, this planet. I'm an inactive member of the community. Exactly. And like he sees himself, especially in the beginning of the film. Well, actually, no, in, in both sides of the film, right? But just in different ways. That like at the beginning of the film, like he sees himself yeah. as vengeance, right? right? And he sees himself as a sort of like terrifying reckoning right. upon like the criminal underbelly of the city. But then he grows. He learns to become. A hero at the end. Yeah, Which right. Which is like an actually really neat journey when you think about it. And it's a little bit understated in the film, I think for better and for worse. But like he really like actually becomes a hero at the end, which is a wonderful journey for that character to go on, mm-hmm, if that mm-hmm, makes mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, on, on top of that, it's interesting how every single time – that he takes off the suit and goes out into the world because he's forced to. 
every time that he is out in the world as Bruce Wayne, something bad happens. Something really bad happens. Um, and he can't stop it at that moment because he's not Batman. Because he's not Batman. Exactly. So, like, every time that he isn't the Batman and he, like, is trying to be Bruce Wayne, which he does not like being, he's given several more reasons as to why he should just never be Bruce Wayne again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it's sad, but it's also, like, it, it feels like every single choice that was made in this movie by Matt Reeves, uh, as well as Robert Pattinson, I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit of credit as well. I'm, I'm not going to try and take everything away from him here. Um, every single choice that was made that makes this Batman drastically different from every, every other Batman was very, very supported. And it made a lot of sense. Every single thing that I saw, I was like, weird. Oh, well, no, I guess that makes sense. You know what I mean? I had that moment a million times in the movie. And I think, like, also, I don't want... Because, listen, the Nolan films, the Dark Knight trilogy, are fantastic, right? Oh, my... And I think, like, even though maybe this is the most of, like, attributing a director to a Batman film, like... The Nolan films are also that. You Absolutely. Know, if not at that level, then just below or just above, right? Like, that that's still a factor. But there is something there. I feel it feels like a lot more of a presence and a lot more of care about Batman as a character as opposed to, in particular, the Nolan films, right? I can't speak to, I don't know, Val Kilmer's Batman, right? Uh, Adam <laughs> I had to West. pull a name out, sure. of, out of the hat, right? right? But... I think there there was there was this like very intricate care about the growth <laughs> of Batman's character and to bring it back to this I think it was a really good choice specifically to have the antagonist of the film tied into the relationship that Bruce Wayne has with his parents and the fact that the Riddler was his kid that was part of this orphanage program but because uh uh, Bruce Wayne's parents was murdered then the orphanage program fell through and his life became a living hell and then like Bruce Wayne has to deal with the fact that yep. like oh his mother and his father have a past and he has to deal with that right, right? right. like that feels like a really tangible thing that's wonderfully uh sort of coalesced yeah. in, into this film right when when you when you think about like Raja Ghoul or the Joker or oh, Bane in the Dark Knight trilogy yeah. they feel sort of related and unrelated in some respects yeah. to Bruce Wayne as a character right Raja Ghoul I think being the most related Absolutely. because like he's the one that sort of the trains yeah. Bruce Wayne right but there's something about having a character that's really related to Bruce Wayne's past yeah. that makes it much more personal of a journey for the Batman to go on, right. which obviously they're setting up for more films after this. I'm pretty sure Matt Reeves has signed on to like two more films after this yeah. for the Batman uh, new trilogy, I guess. But that is a really good jumping off point to have the at least the first movie become a very much more personal of a journey not to say that previous films weren't personal but certainly this one was more so is what i'm trying to absolutely articulate. and that the uh uh I, I think one of the biggest differences between the christopher nolan uh trilogy as well as um or or in, in opposition to the this matt reeves movie is the fact that uh christopher nolan what made some of his directorial choices so interesting and so awesome is that he gave so much permission and so much granted so much freedom to the actors, right? Like 
whenever I'm thinking back to Dark Knight, I'm not thinking, man, Christopher Nolan did such a good job and blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking Heath Ledger's Joker is one of the most haunting and intelligent performances I've ever seen on the screen, yeah. period. And, and a lot of that's Heath Ledger. You know? That's what I mean. Yeah. And like, he, Aided he by great heat. directing, for sure. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it is largely finding ways to extend the length of a of a shot of an average shot so that we can see as much Heath Ledger's performance as possible. Yeah. Not just hiding Heath Ledger's performance in the story that I'm trying to tell as a director. Yeah. And there was a lot more Matt Reeves being a star of this movie than any actor. Oh, but did you see Colin Farrell as Oz slash the penguin? <laughs> Gold medal. We'll get What? With like no seconds left? God damn it, Danny. All right, and we're back. So I hate doing that. I need to stop doing well, that. Well, like then don't do it's it. It's just funny. I don't know. There's something. It just feels right. But then you immediately. But then break I immediately. Character. I'm just like, ugh. Like you do it, and nine times out of ten, you break character. Yeah, because I you do, do it, it, and it feels good in the moment, and then directly after, I'm like, I'm a fraud. Yeah, I'm, the shame I'm not is that. immediate. Yeah, I, that's just not me. That's just not me. All right, let's start. So, uh, Danny, we left off with uh, your hot take. No, no, no! Your gold medal. Your gold medal. Your gold medal. That's not. Yeah. That's not. That's not. That was. A did, slip of the first tongue. of all, you did correct yourself, Thank and you. also, second of all, there, we don't have a bit on this show called, called hot, hot take. take. It's still a slip. I know, but that's not disrespecting the show because that that was a slip of the tongue. Now, um, Danny, your gold medal. Yeah. Was Colin Farrell's Oz? Yeah. Why? Because that character and that acting performance, there was so much fun. Whenever he was on okay. screen, yeah, immense amount of listening, That's true. beautiful amount of like responding, taking in what's being given to him, and then just sending it right back. Very clear action, really distinct objective. I think was just an incredible performance by him. It's also even better because you watch it; he looks nothing like Colin Farrell. You're it's right. Stupid that you say, "Hey, Colin Farrell is in this film," and then. Your first thought would be where? Because I saw this film and Colin Farrell's not in it. I he is. barely even remembered the fact that that was Colin Farrell. Exactly. Because but because the makeup fun. job is fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely impeccable job yeah. in terms of just the, 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 the makeup job done upon him. And like a, typically, you know, the penguin is a shorter individual, but like they didn't lean into it for, for this film and whatever. I, I guess it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I enjoyed this character, this version of the character. And I really, really enjoyed this actor's performance because I thought, his performance was the most in tune with what was going on every single scene, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the amount of listening that was happening was top tier. So you think Colin Farrell brought it more than every other person that worked on this project? Yes. Wow. In terms of being in a scene with their respective scene partners. Sure. Yes. So gold medal for actors. Yeah. Okay. Of course, okay, yeah. Okay. Listen, listen, Mac. Now, to I mean, listen. I don't need to explain this to you, pal. But the gold medal is like predominantly, typically for actors, but it doesn't have True. to be that. Sometimes, you know, like in Dynasty Warriors, it was the costume department. It's the truth. You know, sometimes it is the director. Sometimes yeah. it is. It's even maybe a scene or a moment. Right. You know, but Dynasty Warriors. In nine times out of ten, well, really eight times out of ten, let's let's be honest. The, the gold medal is typically for an actor. True. Okay. Okay. Sure. Then, then in that case, out of 
all of your acting choices or actor choices, I could see how it would make sense to give it to Colin Farrell. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Why were um, you shocked by this? Um, I think purely because it seemed like because he's good. He's very very good. He seemed um like such a an insequential part of the movie. Like he seemed pretty insequential, inconsequential, inconsequential part. Thank you, inconsequential part of the movie. Like a like a uh, oh uh, sure like like a part that you know like was important was important. But that didn't seem like it was anything like he was ever in the in the driver's seat. You sure. know what I mean? <laughs> the driver's room. I was, I was say <laughs> All driver's the drivers get together. Wheel. They stand in a room. Hey, this the, is the driver's room. The driver's room. seat. Um, <laughs> that's a play right there. Is, is the that driver's a, that's, room? That's a title to a play, oh, The Driver's man. Room. You're right. The like That's not a TV show. That's Daniel not a movie. That is, that is a play that is, you know, yeah. like, like, B plus at most. Who's your star vehicle in the driver's room? <laughs> it's your star vehicle. Yeah, who's your who's your who's your vanity project actor? Who's who's there? I feel like it has to be like Vin Diesel. Oh, sh- way different than I was thinking. I was thinking oh. like driven down into the ground. Well, maybe like, Adam Driver. Nah, uh, I the soft high five. Oh my gosh, Adam Driver, <laughs> you suck. Ass. All right. No, Whoa. you suck ass. Whoa. Adam Driver's Whoa. a god. You Whoa. suck ass. Adam Driver. Period. Danny, comma, you suck ass. Period. Okay, but but uh, you're Back surprised that I this. said him because he's never in the driver's seat. Yeah, that that, that does my thing. It's like Look, he doesn't the have best. a lot to do with the success of this movie. Sure, but but listen, whenever he was on screen, it was the best performance and the best character. Okay, I could. Okay, I could. I could see where you're coming from there. Um, and like, it seems like he's setting, or rather, the character is being set up to be a much more predominant right. role. It, right. Yeah, and it, I think it this feels is a like the next setup. movie or two. He's about to be, be a very big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that Falcon's gone, now that he's at the top of the heap or or whatever, like the the power grab they were talking yeah. about. Image and heap. Yeah. What? Nothing. Okay. Now. Um, we are, uh, I, I would like to take it into the next phase of the conversation, which is, I think what makes this movie overall so special and so spectacular is the fact that the biggest production approach that Matt Reeves took was making this version of Batman one that is entirely possible. Yes, that's an excellent point. And that is so haunting. It is genuinely terrifying. Huzzah! There it is. You know what I mean? Yes. No, I'm with you. Every other superhero movie I've ever seen is, like, they might say that it's possible at times. Like, Iron Man, for instance. Like, it's just a real guy. But no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, He does some pretty uh, fictional things. Look, look, look. The, the, The closest that, you know, humanity in terms of, or rather, like, as close to reality as superhero films get and, like, the possibility of them has always... I don't. Th- I think this is safe to say has always been Batman films. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like wh- even. I mean, yeah. So even though it's some been a Batman driving villains force in the culture for a really long yeah. time in America, and so even though some Batman villains that are like much more crazy, like like Killer Croc or Clayface. Oh, I totally forgot. You yeah. know, like really, or Man Bat, for example. It, is this your first time hearing a Man I've Bat? I've never heard of Man Bat. Well, look him up. It, it, he's a fun one. Jeez. But all that to say, like, there are still, you know, villains in the Batman canon that are just crazy wild stuff. But 
what, yes, exactly, what made this particular film so much more haunting was just how they all felt more like people, and this all felt more like reality, and, like, Riddler can be somebody. Right. You know, scary is the man that can walk by you down the street, and you don't know who they are, yeah. and they yeah, but, yeah. are the one. Yeah, but the, you know? the, the devil walks among us. Exactly. Yeah, that there is... um. Yeah, it's. I mean, maybe one of the most haunting lines of the entire movie is, uh, "Yeah, he seems to be some accountant." Like the second they say that, I'm like, "I'm sorry, what did you just say?" Well, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just now, a guy. That that is freaky, right? Yeah. As, which makes it more effective. Which makes it way more effective because it makes the antagonist yes. more human. And like once again, you don't have to necessarily agree with the antagonist in order to have the antagonist be successful, right? But if you can establish some sort of relation between the audience and the antagonist, yeah. and then occasionally to uh, force the audience to confront with the mirror and force the audience to actually take a look within themselves, yeah. that is an eff- because of the antagonist, that is an effective use of the antagonist. Right. I don't I don't think it goes to that far of an extent, but I would say it's probably the farthest. Uh, in that manner, right? In that humanistic, I don't think that's a word, manner. I'm not sure. That uh, it takes like really, really good steps. I, I, For me, it always comes back to Thanos. In my mind, like the one, one of the best like storyboarded villains um, that I can think of in re- recent memory is Thanos. And it has nothing to do with the character's dialogue or execution or whatever. It's purely the fact that everyone in that theater, when they were watching Avengers, whenever they meet Thanos, they think he's awful and this like horrible person, this villain and everything. But as the movie goes on, everyone has this moment where it clicks and they aren't on his side ever, but they think to themselves, uh, it makes a lot of sense. You can see the logic and you can see You're how like, somebody absolutely. would be in Thanos's position and then he right. totally thinks he's right and and it's not that he has some you know like joker-esque like crazy i'm crazy yeah like, i want like, anarchy yeah. yeah he has like some mental issue that is like driving him to this to this violent action or whatever it's like it totally makes sense and that i kind of saw quite a lot of that in the riddler where at first you're like oh he's just some crazy guy but the further you get into the riddler you're like uh he's really interesting and although i don't agree with him i can understand how he gets there sure a little bit different. Now, Thanos has a lot of screen time. Thanos true. has a lot of screen time. This is true. The Riddler does not, not get a lot of screen You're time, right. period. And we don't see his face until end of the second act, beginning of the third act. Good of the two film. hours in the movie. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, I guess I could see somebody approach you know, the position that is Riddler, but what makes... Riddler more scary to me is the fact that like it could just be anybody you know what I'm saying like it's less like the logical decisions behind it yeah and more that the Riddler is just a guy I think it's both personally I think it's a little bit of both I think so because I don't think the Riddler is that well developed as a character in terms of his execution sure in the film you know I don't think he's that much developed. I think he is like a character and like his motivations are clear and they're at least thought out. And we at least have that genuinely great scene between the Batman 
and uh, Paul Dano's Riddler, you know, yeah. unmasked uh, while uh, Dano's Riddler is in Arkham, right? In the right. asylum. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a wonderful scene. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Really good scene. But the thing is, is that, like, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. I think it's very different characters, the Riddler and Thanos. And I sure. think how Thanos, like, you can see Thanos as a human, right? And that's where you sort of side with Thanos. What makes the Riddler terrifying is that you do see him as a human. Because he, because he is. Yeah. Right. Then I, 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 there, I, I need, I need to like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, iron out this take a little bit more. Yeah, please. But, go I, ahead. but I, but what I'm trying to say is like, I think, I think the comparison is a valid one. But they're two very different approaches. Yeah, when it comes to an attack, it's it's, it's, it's not a one to one like 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 you're like like you you would say. Yeah, but uh. I definitely think that there is um, a a moment with Thanos where I go, okay, I understand where you're coming from, and although I wouldn't do the same thing, I understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I I had the exact same moment with Riddler, and I don't often have that moment with villains where I'm like, okay, I wouldn't do the same thing, but after I was, you know, um, after I was an orphan and had to grow up watching Bruce Wayne on TV, and after I was able to uh, very subtly and quietly witness the fact that every single person that is in control of the city is all corrupt and being and and in bed with the villains at like all the time, that would drive me crazy as well. And like, and there's a couple more ands that I can pack on. Like, and I feel like I'm never going to make a difference in this world, and I think I'm going to die and never be noticed, and blah, 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 blah. Makes sense to me. Now, um, another thing that also creeps me the heck out is, um, so, Danny, this uh. is going to be a very dark conversation. Strap in. Sorry, in advance. If... Someone's going to organize a mass shooting. How do they do it? Where would they do it? What? Why are you asking me? I'm wondering if you if you know. I mean, I just I guess some like public forum of some it's sort. Really good guess, Danny. Uh, most of like well over fifty percent of uh the I don't know the exact statistic, but I know that well over fifty percent of the mass shootings that we know, um, over the last decade have been either organized or at least publicized they're about to happen on uh forums on 4chan 8chan type um like like kind of oh pseudo sorry dark web type sorry stuff. no i meant public like, forum like 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 in person like oh. public events no, oh no 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 i i mean like, like they're it posting place, it like online everywhere. and trying to get people on board like in a dark web type setting this feels reckless is this reckless no 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 this, this is absolutely the truth please go and do your own research and uh, listeners please go and do your do, do your own research yes, do your so own research. yeah no it's, it's the truth most of the mass shootings that we have seen over the past decade there is some sort of documentation of it and and uh, that like it's going to happen. That it's that that it's about to happen. Okay. Gotcha. Now that happens every single day. People like threaten that kind of stuff every single day online, and most of that never happens. So you can't like expect that every single time someone threatens somebody, it's going to be a problem. I, I've as I've been a teacher, there have been like like bomb threats or like shooter threats at my school. Has it ever happened? Absolutely not. But that happens constantly, all the time. True. It's a true fact. But the thing is, is that. That is how you do it in real life. 
So it's interesting to me that they're sitting there in the in the writers' room and they're thinking to themselves, okay, well the Riddler's just a regular guy, a real guy, and he's trying to organize a mass shooting at the uh, uh, at the Gotham Square Garden, which we'll get back to. Um, how does he do it? He goes to a pseudo four chan type chat room. He's like live streaming, live streaming, and he has like you know like mostly public content, but like password protected content from yeah, here, like here that and there. Looks, it looks like like a Facebook group page. It's it's very regular and and real. It's so familiar. That is probably the part that creeps me out the most because I'm like that not only is possible but has happened before. Like we've seen it happen before. That creeps me out a lot. And so it's it's interesting that everything that Batman does, except like a little bit of technology, you know, here and there, is pretty possible. Everything that Catwoman does, although, you know, the, like a little bit of editing here and there in terms of like the movement or whatever, is pretty possible. The Riddler's extremely possible. Sure. Now, I think, I don't think this is, you know what? Screw it. Let's just have to say. Let's just say this is sizzle serve, even though I don't think it is. Give it. Let's just have it be spicy. I think the Riddler would have been more interesting and actually a better character if he, through and through, was just a guy and wasn't somebody that had uh, some sort of like mm-hmm. mental breakdown. To... No, 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 oh. like a mental breakdown of sorts, right? Oh, we're sure. just like, ob- like not obviously, but. I, oh God! I'm putting my right. foot in my mouth as we speak. You, you are hearing it and seeing it happen lifetime. No, Mac just need oh, no. the microphone. Oh my God! That's <laughs> such a point, comedian. His face, his oh, face was no. glorious. Oh, no. his eyes were oh, bulging crap. out of his head. The point. It was like looking at two different fishbowls. Boom! Okay. Just right out there, and he I need the microphone on okay. accident. No, I, okay. I understand what you're saying. So, though. like, yeah, the Riddler is is going through a mental thing. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. and and it, that, that, that it is, is annoying. Right. I agree. So, so, but I think what what would have made because that's a very common trope, right? To have your villain yes. antagonist be crazy guy that is like unhinged. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think it would have been so much more scarier that like if we had a sort of <laughs> kind of and this is a little bit of a deep cut like the movie uh, Law Abiding Citizen uh, with what? Gerard Butler and Never Jamie Fox in my life you should watch it actually good where uh, long story short Gerard Butler it just seems to be like this guy but he has this crazy spoiler alert crazy master plan like intricate. You know, bombs and, and and killing machines here and there, uh, to a, enact revenge. Oh. But he's just a guy, and it's kind of much more scary. He's just a law-abiding citizen, right? Where uh, I think I it would have it would have been freakier if they really leaned into the fact of like, yeah, this is just Edward Nashton. And he did yeah. all this. Yeah, right, right, right. He is just an accountant. Yeah, he's it, not it's unhinged. not the Riddler. This it is, is just like, this die. is, and like, if it becomes more logical for that character to perform those actions, mm-hmm. then it's actually a lot more effective, I think. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like the execution of that character. And so then we really have to confront with the fact of like, I don't know, cause, cause, cause it's a lot easier to. This is shitty. This is shitty. This is really, really shitty. <laughs> it's a lot easier 
for the common folk, let's say, to disassociate with somebody that's more unhinged. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's true. When, so then if you have an antagonist that isn't unhinged in any sort of way, is only unhinged in action, uh, in terms of, you know, all this mass yeah. killing and shit, that is, that's, right. it forces the audience a lot more to look at that mirror. You, you should be able to look at the Riddler and the very first thought you have to yourself be, I know that guy. Yeah. That's that's scary. And so, like, I half agree. of it is that. The other half is he's totally unhinged. Although, okay, so I, I, I understand the instinct, and I understand absolutely that. I, I agree it would have been a more interesting movie. This movie would have been a more interesting movie. Um, but I think it kind of comes back to the same point as, like, the Cowboy Bebop point, which is they are still on – although they took a lot of uh, freedoms, a lot of liberties with this, with this story, they are still on a – very tiny leash um, in terms of the fact that it's still Batman. And I think what is holding them back is the fact that even though their take on the Riddler is wildly different than any Riddler we've ever seen. And it's very much so like like the Zodiac Killer. Right. It's, it, 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 it's a very new, uh, new era Riddler. And it's a cool Riddler. Yeah. It's still the Riddler. And... And they can't really get too far away from the fact that it's the Riddler. I mean, sure, because, yeah, the, the, the core of the character is always going to be right. the same. Regardless right, right. of whether or not, like, so, the yeah. Riddler is, you know, vaudevillian with a cane and with a bowler hat or is, like, wacky and zany like yeah. Jim Carrey or right. is maniacal in some, like, sick way. Like, there have been multiple iterations and interpretations of the Riddler. That's pretty vast, right? Yeah. Like. The Joker is more consistent. The Riddler is surprisingly more vast when it comes to interpretations. Right. And I still think, like, this is an effective interpretation of the Riddler. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, it's still going to be the Riddler. There's still going to be riddles. There's exactly. still going to be, like, that sort of, like, but I think unraveling. making him a real guy to the extent that you're talking about, although, like, as I, I, I'm making this clear as possible, I really genuinely think that that would make it a much better film. I think it might be too far away from the Riddler for them to get away with, with, with their mm. fan base. Or like from like Batman canon. Right. Look, look, if it's, a, listen, listen, if it's a good movie. No one cares. Bleep the fan base. Like right. that doesn't, like that, that right. is always I not going to matter. You know well, to, to, I mean, Especially, to what extent maybe, okay, though fine. do we. Fine. Maybe at the beginning, maybe at like first glance, first inhale yeah. of the film, like people would be like, that's not the Riddler. Right? right. Like for example, like. This is a very specific example. Like Iron Man three, you had Ben Kingsley be the Mandarin, right? But he, <laughs> which is racist name. Uh, and but like um, but he wasn't the Mandarin. He was just an actor who yeah. was the Mandarin, right? Which people at the time did not enjoy that because people wanted the Mandarin, which is just a funny sentence to say out loud. Yeah, but, but they, people wanted the Mandarin. They, they wanted but I the, think yeah. now, years later. People appreciate Iron Man three a yeah. lot more, and that was such a good that. choice. That was freaking hilarious, and also I think it was uh, went for the um, the the theme and the message they were going for a lot better. I think it really did capture their story a lot a lot better. What 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 Iron Man was going for. Um, I I think another thing that kind of added to the whole like this could really happen aspect is that this is the absolute hardest that any um uh, uh batman iteration has ever gotten into this is new york like gotham's just new york at gotham this point. square garden 
Gotham Square Garden <laughs> with, with Times Square is equivalent. So aggressive, and the fact that like the one of the very first shots of the entire movie is pretty much Times Square. Did that bother you? Um, because I didn't care. I was like, oh, it's kind of like New York, and then like Gotham Square Garden doesn't like doesn't sound good. Like you say it about right. Gotham Square Garden, like that just sounds ugly. Right. But like that was the extent of it. I think. Right. I, I think Gotham Square Garden got me a little bit the second time. I was like, chill, here it comes. <laughs> um, but the first time, I actually really like it. I really, really like that because we, we got to remember, we have a podcast. We're people, we're, we're artists. That doesn't give us like necessarily like this, this, uh, the, the reason to suspect. We are just Joe and Schmo. We are just Joe and Schmo, but we're Joe and Schmo that uh, have done this for a long time and do this for their lives. The average spectator, I don't think, is looking at this like, that's a little too on the nose. They just, if they notice, then they're like, oh, this is kind of, oh, they're trying to go from New York. Good for the, like, they're not thinking too hard about it. You know what I mean? Sure. So I think what we see as too on the nose at times is actually r- right on the nose. I mean, I well, like, look, in the case of the New York thing, I think it's fine. It's whatever. Right. Like, is it on the nose? Sure. Who cares? Like, it's such a small part. Who cares? How much, for you, how much were you, because we're, you know, coming to uh, the last few minutes. Yeah. Um, For you, how much were you rooting for uh, Zoe Kravitz and uh, Robert Pattinson at the end? Uh, Catwoman and Bruce Wayne. I mean, it was fine. I did feel, I actually kind of feel like the relationship was a little bit forced. Uh, sure. I actually don't really think Zoe Kravitz did that great of a performance anyways. Sure. I don't think her dialogue was that great. I'll, I will at least give that. But uh, she also did not really know what to do with that dialogue. I agree. So there was that as well. So it was a combination of those two things. And, like, it didn't feel like they were actually interested in each other. It only felt like they were actually interested in each other because the script demanded so, not because yeah. those characters were actually interested in each other. Yeah, every single that time that they sense. had a pseudo-romantic or romantic moment, uh, I was always like, "Oh, where did that come from?" Um, absolutely, that 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 was something that I that I that I noticed. And uh, I also, wish they didn't kiss. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Honestly, same. Um, but the, I think the big thing for for me that I kind of noticed the second time around, because the first time I, I noticed all those things as well. The second time I was kind of going into it more with a, a mindset uh, or mind frame of like, I, I need to stop looking at Zoe Kravitz as like an actor that I need to expect to be like some version of Catwoman that that is impressive. And I need to be like, okay, uh, Zoe Kravitz is a, like a cultural icon right now, especially in terms of like style and aesthetic and like just her presence and like her as a public figure and everything. I need to just like, that needs to be my expectation. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't, I know, but I was like, let's just like calm down and like let's just let let, let this be what it is, you know. Oh, and it's a two, two minute, minute warning. warning. There we go. Congrats to two minutes. Um, but to to wrap up that that Zoe Kravitz point, I think that it is um a, a lot of it comes from the fact that like the thing that people are gonna remember are not is is not the actual performance of Zoe Kravitz, but like. The stills, the posters, yeah. the the action, the the aesthetic, and the fact that the compilations she's in the on film. YouTube and TikTok, the you know what I mean, like that that's the main thing, not her performance in this movie. Now, Danny, give us uh, no, 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 quick review on Jeffrey Wright's uh, Jeffrey Wright's no, yes, Jeffrey Wright's yeah, uh, 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 Gordon. Oh my God, commission not soon to be Commissioner Gordon. Um, Woo. I love Jeffrey Wright, huge Jeffrey Wright fan. Uh, loved Westworld, loved everything that he's done. Um, I. I thought at first I was like, I don't 
don't know if he's my commissioner, Gordon. But as the movie went on, especially in that scene where he's whispering to the Batman, I'm like, okay, Jeffrey Wright was you such a good pick. You need to punch me in the face. He's like, you need to punch me. Yeah, so funny. Yeah. So funny. I'm looking forward to the growth of that character. I, I thought agree. he did okay, but I think it's going to grow into and something And I trust really special. Jeffrey Wright to grow that. Yes. Review. Give it to me. Uh, Really good. You should go watch it. It's long. I think movies should start to have intermissions again. There. I said it. Uh, Mac. That's the sizzle serve, Danny. And let me tell you, I completely agree. I think that in a, that 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 audiences would start to accept intermission type movies if they uh, already trusted. Marvel could have done it, but didn't, but never did. I think that uh, the Batman is popular enough that people would still watch it if there was an intermission. They should try it. I completely agree. Um, it is an excellent movie. I think it's uh, uh, definitely something that you should go watch because I highly encourage you going and seeing the trilogy that is about to be made by Matt Reeves over the course of the next couple of years. Um, so uh, hop on the bandwagon, folks, because we got to get this train on, on uh, out of the station. Go ahead. Awesome noir film. You should go watch it. Now, uh, so... There is a podcast, right, that, that gave me inspiration, Mac, to start this oh. one. It is the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz. It was originally <laughs> on ESPN Radio, and oh. now it's just a podcast. And they helped me Wizards. inspire to get this podcast started with you because yeah. I wanted to do something. Dan like, Levitard. And I wanted to have a good time good and a fun too. time. They made a musical. It's called The Big Game. It is a musical oh, soundtrack. Oh. You can listen to it on Apple Music and Spotify. It's called The Big Game, produced by JT All Daly right. as well. I guess that's it. Huh? And that's it. Okay, thank you.